Hi, everyone. Before we start the show, I just want to let you know that if you enjoy the Dare Daniel podcast, if you like the work we're doing here, you can help us grow the show by making a donation through the Dare Daniel website. Your generous contributions will help offset the cost of producing the show and will also enable long-term projects. You can make a one-time payment or set up a monthly subscription. Any amount helps, and it's really greatly appreciated. Thanks a lot, and here's the show. Yaki family members, you're listening to the Dare Daniel podcast, where you send us your most sinister movie dares, and we suffer the consequences for your amusement. I'm Corky McDonald, and I'm a fucking Sox fan, and with me as always is Daniel Barnes, film critic for the Sacramento News and Review, and a member of the San Francisco Film Critics Circle. Hi everyone, Sox! Go Sox! How about them Sox? Do the voice the whole show, or stop? Good. As Quirky said, on this show, we do your dirty work, dirty water work, dirty. by watching the most unwatchable movies you can imagine, and then we review and rate them on our unique system. A run-of-the-mill bad film is rated a dare. We give a double dare to the truly atrocious movies, and we reserve the reverse dare for a despised movie that is actually pretty good. This fucking morning on <laughs> today on the podcast, Fever Pitch, starring Jimmy Fallon as a Boston Red Sox fan in love with Drew Barrymore. But before we get started, Daniel's going to tell us all about the beer we'll be drinking during the show. Once again, I have brought a beer from Revision Brewing up in Sparks, Nevada. Of course, we love what they do. This is another hazy double IPA, a.k.a. Northeast-style double IPA. It's called Citrus City. So it has a lot of citrus hops in there, but it also has milk sugar, which is like a big thing going on in uh, craft beer right now, is to put lactose and milk sugar and things in kind of unconventional beers, not just milk stouts. And so this is in a hazy double IPA, and actually it's pretty nice. It's fruity, and it's actually pretty... As someone who has been just this year baptized in the religion of hazy IPAs, this is everything I'm looking for in a beer right here. This beer is fantastic. Nice. Yeah, it's really good. Well, this is perfect. Another another homer over the Green Monster for those boys of Revision Brewing, Boston Sox. This film was dared to us by Daniel's wife. My wife. Darcy. My own wife. Sinister. And she dared us this dare. I made her watch it with me, by the way. Fever pitch, because Jimmy Fallon is an amazing actor. <laughs> and baseball. The IMDb synopsis says, Lindsay is stuck in the middle of a relationship with Ben and his passion for the Boston Red Sox. IMDb was as uninterested in this movie as I, I was. I could not have cared less about <laughs> what happened. I mean, I guess that's what the fuck. I mean, if there's a plot to this movie, and there is not, that's it. Yeah, so Fever Pitch came out in 2005. It's actually an American remake of a 1997 British film, which starred Colin Firth as a crazed Arsenal football club fan, and that uh, was based on the Nick Hornby autobiographical essay. Hornby wrote the script for the 97 version. He only executive produced the 2005 version, which was directed by Peter and Bobby Farrelly, best known for gross-out comedies like Dumb and Dumber and Kingpin. And it was scripted by my boy, Lao Gans, and your boy, Babalu Mandel. Mandel all the way, I'll baby. never forgive you. <laughs> Babalu. I will, unforgivable. Team Baba. Gans all the way. Check out the, the, the Gans show. <laughs> Do you see the Gans show I'm putting on here, baby? <laughs> so at first glance, when you kind of look at Fever Pitch and kind of look at the background and the stats and stuff, it doesn't necessarily 
fit the show. It has a 65 on Rotten Tomato, which is technically fresh, not yeah. overwhelming or anything like that. That's more well-received than we usually do. Exactly. Uh, average rating, 6.3 out of 10. It has a 56 on Metacritic, which, again, not good, but not terrible. It had a budget of $30 million. It grossed $42 million domestically. No real foreign sales. $50 million overall. So not a hit. No. Not a bomb, exactly. However, the key here is that this was dared by my wife, the right. beautiful and talented Darcy Self. And she, of course, knows me better than anyone in the world. And so she's really designed a personal hell just for me. <laughs> so she knows things about me like... I don't really like romantic comedies, especially the modern iteration of the romantic comedy. Exactly. Philadelphia Story is a romantic comedy. That's great. Annie Hall is a romantic comedy. That's great. Harold but, and Maude. Absolutely. But the, the gen- absolutely. But the general romantic comedy is of the modern era is pandering and shallow and consumerist. It stars J-Lo. <laughs> Usually has J-Lo. <laughs> and, and Queen Latifah is like the best friend or yeah. something like that. Yeah. She also knows I hate Jimmy Fallon. And this is not just for the whole normalizing Trump stuff. I hated Jimmy Fallon way before it was cool, man. I was an early adopter of hating Jimmy Fallon. I have cred going back a long (laughs) ways, baby. Streets were talking about you hating Jimmy Fallon. Oh, my God. It was all over the place. It was Biggie (laughs) Tupac before Biggie (laughs) Tupac or after, whatever. Uh, and my wife knows that while I do love baseball, I'm a diehard Oakland A's fan, and I absolutely despise the Boston Red Sox just as much as I despise the Yankees. They're two sides of the same corrupt coin. They've ruined baseball forever. Thank you. Um, so even though, like I said, this isn't a movie that is overwhelmingly hated, it's a movie that seems designed to torture me specifically. And isn't that what the show's really about? <laughs> really? At the Darcy's, end of the day? Darcy's just capturing the spirit of the show we're to torment her husband. Ostensibly, we're trying to rescue, you know, lost cinematic no. classics. But it's really just about causing me psychological torture. It's more about ruining our Sunday mornings, having to rehash the two hours we spent <laughs> on these fucking things. There were critics who loved this film. Entertainment Weekly critic Owen Gleiberman gave the film an A. A, just straight up A, fucking retire. What are you doing? Retire, you fuck. (laughs) And he said, quote, it's been a while since a movie made the game of love this winning. Uh, Meanwhile, right? Isn't that just like the metaphors in there? It's just wonderful. Corky, piggybacking on Owen Gleiberman's just incredibly lazy use of sports metaphors to defend an indefensible film. Let's use some baseball terminology for fever pitch. Is it a strikeout? Is it a home run? Is it something in between single, double, triple, quadruple? What is it? Well, this movie has the right pitch <laughs> to capture the g- love inside of a ball. It really threw me a curve. <laughs> Boy, it knocked it out of the park and into my heart. <laughs> Jesus. Thoughts on Fever Pitch? Uh, thoughts on Fever Pitch? I so peek behind the curtain. I watched this movie with my girlfriend, okay. who told me that it's one of her favorite movies. Damn. She watches. In fact, we not only rented this movie, we bought this movie because she said I like to watch this movie at least once a year. So I'm setting myself up for failure sure. sitting there and then re- talking about this when she eventually <laughs> listens. But I didn't laugh once mm-hmm. in 
I'd say the first 40 minutes of this movie. Yeah. Every time that I was supposed to laugh, I saw where I was supposed to laugh. Right. But, man, this movie is so slapdash and clumsy and poorly acted. Incredibly. It is. Th- that's the biggest takeaway. You only know things or you're supposed to feel things because the dialogue tells you to. There's no emotional conveyance by either actor. Yeah, this movie is nonstop falseness. Yeah. Right up to the fact that these two people would ever give a living shit about each other or would ever be together for two seconds. And yeah, you're right. A Drew Barrymore is just kind of giving you nothing. Yeah. But holy fuck, Jimmy Fallon is trying to give you everything and still giving you absolutely nothing. Actually taking things away from you. You you leave this movie like drained. He is so desperate. He is so needy. Everything is a fidget and it's a face and oh. it's a voice and it's a thing. And this movie is relentless. It's just absolutely relentless. And of course it has to name check Annie Hall because it just, again, it just needs to brush its fucking locust wings <laughs> up against perfectly good things and ruin them. <laughs> so yes, I hated this movie. I would, Going into it, again, I was set up, like you, I was set up for failure. This was a yeah. movie designed to for me to hate it. And sure enough, I did. Let's get right into we it. We should just fucking watch a baseball game right now and talk to about that. <laughs> Seriously. It's after we're recording this during the most boring World Series ever. Yes. Most boring baseball playoffs ever. Yeah, I guess we should mention that we're recording this just a few days after the Boston Red Sox did indeed win their fourth World Series, I think, in the last uh, since, 15 years yeah, since, since this one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and should be airing as, uh, as maybe another six weeks or so before the regular baseball season starts. So we're right in the middle of the thick of it. Did that give you any kind of extra yeah. interest in this movie? No, of course it didn't. And, and, and I don't know if we were delaying this, but I'm not a baseball fan, a super fan. Right. But I'm a fan of baseball playoffs. I think baseball playoffs rank sure. right up there with the greatest things. Not this playoffs. Right. This was fucking uninteresting, dead baseball. I don't like what baseball is becoming. But the 2018 playoffs. Yeah, 2018. Yeah, sure. 2018 playoffs. And this movie and Boston winning it is pretty emblematic of all of that. <laughs> well, awesome. Well, let's get right into it with the socks. Socks. Right away, we're getting narration from someone who will basically disappear for most of the movie. That's right. <laughs> and then come back at the very end just to wrap it up again. But this is, fuck, I can't remember his name. So let's just call him Boston Bosty. His fucking name's Al Waterman. Al Waterman. Waterman. And his thing is he has sponges. He has He's going to give you a sponge every time he sees you. Sponge thing. <laughs> so he, he is a diehard Boston Red Sox fan, which he describes as 87 years of banging our head against a big green wall. And now he goes into the backstory of Ben. ben. This is young Jimmy Fallon. Uh, Ben's parents moved from New York to Boston. And he has nothing to do, and he's very lonely. So his Uncle Carl comes out, and Uncle Carl takes him out to Fenway Park for the very first time, which is kind of the the life-changing moment, the life-defining moment, yeah. I guess, of, of his life, is going out to Fenway Park and having this amazing experience with the Red Sox. And Uncle Carl's played by Lenny Clark. If you've seen a movie set in fucking Boston, it's, been, it's had Lenny Clark in it. Stand-up comic. Uh, he describes the Red Sox fans as God's most pathetic creatures. <laughs> Amen. And uh, Ben has has completely embraced it. So now, how we- tone deaf is this movie though? In 2018, there's that gif of that kid going around who's a 15 year old Boston sports fan. He's been to 11 parades 
in 15 years. He's been to like seven or six Patriots parades, two Bruins parades, four Sox parades, two Celtics parades. Plus, he's missed out on two other times Patriots and the Bruins went to the championship. <laughs> but this is like, oh, being a Red Sox fan is being long-suffering. <laughs> Fuck you, you've had the best last 15 years of it's any. So tortured, I know. And they fired two managers who won them the World Series, too. Right. Is a river back before this, it was always like, oh, if they ever win, these guys are going to be treated like gods. Yeah. Fucking Terry Francona won them two World Series. They fired him. They fired him because he had a bad year. It's so fucking it's spoiled. It's how spoiled. Like, overnight, they got to be the most spoiled fans ever. Anyway, sorry. Sorry to all the Boston Red Sox fans. Sorry, not sorry. Fuck Ray. you, Patriots fans. So now we fast forward 23 years later, October 2003. And, of course, we get shots of the Boston skyline with the song Dirty Water because this film is not imaginative. <laughs> and the credits are all in the Bo Sox type. Of course. Uh, grown Ben is walking down the street bantering with kids. He's just constantly bantering with these kids. We find out that he is an honors math teacher. Why not make it a realistic thing yeah. for Jimmy Fallon to be? He also teaches JV softball. You could have just made him the gym You're teacher. You're a checked out you PE teacher. You made him the honors math teacher. Mm-hmm. Why? Right. So he meets Drew Barrymore, who is this professional woman, because he's taking his honors math students to meet somebody? To meet somebody who this likes math. This is their math. big treat, is yeah. to meet a math person, which she shows them math. <laughs> uh, and they kind of they, they flirt a little bit. Uh, her name is Lindsay. So this is Lindsay and Ben. They flirt a little bit. As they're leaving the building, His student, one of his students says that she took, quote, a glance at the pants. These are ninth grade students yeah. who are <laughs> talking about their fucking teachers' I, I, pants. I just wrote movie kids going to movie kid. That's what they do. These are the most movie kids. They're so, they're movie so precocious yeah. and wise in moments. But then they're little kids again, yeah. right? Oh, this is just But absolutely. hold on. You're telling me Drew Barrymore, who plays Lindsay in this movie, <laughs> she's a hardworking career gal. Yep. Is she going to be able to juggle that with love? Woo! I don't know. Because right, that movie, this movie's going to definitely explore that, They're right? from different worlds. What the he's hell? He's a teacher. Can they make that work? <laughs> How can they make that work? So he asks her out. And it's a little awkward, which we're supposed to find his awkwardness utterly charming. Yeah. It is not in any way. No. It feels just so forced. He goes out and has plays touch football and has date talk because guys. Right. She goes to a spin <laughs> class and has date talk because gals. Right. So first date, we, there's these chirons throughout, and they're all in that Boston Red Sox script. So we get the first date. So he shows up at her apartment, and she is nauseous. Yeah. She's utterly nauseous. She's vomiting in the bathroom. There's some really bad slapstick. He decides to take care of her, yeah. actually undresses her. Yeah. She can barely, she is like, like it's almost she like She cannot rookie. care for herself. Yeah, she cannot do anything. He undresses her, puts her in a nightgown. Then does he leave? No. He stays yeah. for seemingly days. Right. Cleans her whole apartment, cleans her bathroom, cleans up her dog. And is sleeping on the couch when she finally regains consciousness whenever that is a day or two later. Yeah. And this is how you know that, again, this is a romantic comedy. That's it. For men. That's it. Directed by men and written by men. And how do you know? Because we're supposed to find his whole fucking rapey vibe cute. And then when they go out to eat, she's taking the phone calls on her thing. He grabs the phone out of her hand. Yeah. This guy's a real piece of shit. (laughs) 
But it's supposed to be so cute because he's childlike. It's also, you can tell it's a Fairly Brothers movie because her apartment is supposed to be indicative of her high status and a right. lot of money. But it's so cheap. Like the sh- You can see the shadows of the cast. <laughs> a boom mic falls into frame for a second. We should also say that the big thing about this film, and this is kind of a Fairly Brothers thing, and really it's a whole comedy film in the era of the Fairly Brothers, and I would say Judd Apatow and all of his kind of rip-offs and acolytes. But this is like 10 years beyond Fairly stamp on comedy, right? It is, and you can tell that they are holding back their kind of naughty boy stuff. It it pops out a few times. There's a bunch of washing your balls jokes in this movie. But for the most part, they're trying to play it a little straighter. They're They're not going to show you the balls like they did earlier. Yeah. But the one thing that a lot of comedies do now is the relentless nonstop needle drop. Mm. The soundtrack drop. Every scene transition, every 30 seconds, you need to have a new song pop up on the soundtrack and then quickly fade out as you transition scenes. This movie, like if a heroin addict has needle marks on his arm, this film has needle drop marks on its arm. (laughs) It just has tracks all up and down of like, what's the easiest fucking thing we could do here? Dirty water. Ah, yeah, right. Oh, sweet Caroline. Oh, there good is stuff, baby. There is some good music in this in this movie. There's there is Nick Drake, but uh, it's nonstop. It's just yeah. nonstop, and it's almost totally without context as well. The only way we know Jimmy Fallon is supposed to be funny is because the camera holds on him while he mugs, right. or people laugh at him when he's not being funny, or people just are people just basically obsess over him, which yeah. is the thing about romantic comedies, especially the modern one, which is like. Their friends, all they think about, all they talk about is like this guy and this girl. Like yeah. they're the focus of everyone's lives. They're like song. a Greek chorus of idiots. <laughs> so Ben's real love, as he kind of admits to her, is the socks. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and it, this is February now. It's the off season. So he's a normal guy. Their relationship is 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 evolving, but we kind of are realizing that as we get into March now, that there's really two Bens. There's yeah. off season Ben, who is a nice regular guy and totally well adjusted, and then there's in season Ben, who is crazy and neurotic and totally obsessed with the Red Sox on every single possible level. Like he his entire life is the Red Sox. His apartment, all of his clothes. Everything he says and does is all just Red Sox. Which is weird. He has no Red Sox stickers on his car. He has no Red Sox. He doesn't do anything Red Sox in the offseason. That's just dumb. That's not fandom. <laughs> know, right? That's yes. not what fans do. They still sport their shit. He doesn't have a Red Sox jacket he wears in winter. Yeah, he just totally gives up. But it's March now, so he gets his new tickets, his new season tickets, and he smells the new tickets, and his friends come over, and it's a big ritual. And he has all these friends who, again, are just obsessed over him. Again, and so we're getting the Fairly Brothers retreads, the guys you see in most Fairly Brothers movies, extras, which really struck me because one of his best friends was also the best friend of Ben Stiller in Something About Mary. Oh, right. And I'm like, this guy's now best friends with something 12, 15 years his younger. What's going on with this guy? Know, right? And he's playing a doctor again. Like, this guy's like, I'll only do it if I'm a doctor. <laughs> right. Yes. I promised my parents I'd be a doctor. <laughs> So he admits to Lindsay that he's a big, big Red Sox fan. And this, she's like, okay, that sounds okay. We're, we're good with that. She asks him to go away for in March to go see her parents because it's some big thing or they, everyone has an anniversary. Or, but yeah, down in Baltimore. He sort of begs off and says that he has a thing and he's going to Florida and he's going to go to spring training with his friends, which is like a yearly thing that he does. 
of course, ASAP, the second she turns on a TV when she gets to Baltimore, <laughs> there is Ben on ESPN being interviewed <laughs> about being a Boston Red Sox fan <laughs> and generally just acting like a crazed idiot. But not only that, it's with her dad. Who Her dad, of course, has to go, look at this fucking idiot. <laughs> In between these kind of uh, these dates and these encounters with Lindsay and Ben, they both go back to their friends and stuff. And her friends are saying, which they're always working out because gals. Yeah. And they say, change him. Try to change him. And she sort of resists, like, should I change him? Is this going to get in the way? Or should I just let him be who he is? When she, This is the part where I'm saying that acting tells you nothing. When she calls him on the how she doesn't know if this is going to work and how he cares so much about the socks, she goes, wow, I really hit a nerve there. I'm like, how do you know? Jimmy Fallon's done nothing different than what he's done the whole movie. How would you know that? We are told that he has these season tickets, which, again, are like just a few rows behind the home dugout. At Fenway. At Fenway Park. These are season tickets now. 81 games a year. Because they were left to him by his Uncle Carl. (laughs) His Uncle Carl willed him season tickets that he apparently... Never has to pay for? Uh, that's true, right? I never thought about that. That's not how that works. This man doesn't make enough to pay for those You seats. can get the rights to buy the season tickets. Yeah. That can be passed down. That makes sense. Yeah. Uncle Carl, being a season ticket holder from the 80s, means absolutely fucking nothing. If Jimmy Fallon, the math teacher if in this If they raise movie, the price of tickets, you have to pay for those tickets. He would have to sleep at Fenway and live at Fenway just because <laughs> all his money would go to that and what money he borrowed. But no, he lives in Boston in an apartment by himself. He also takes a trip to Florida every year. <laughs> he is a math teacher, a middle school math teacher. These tickets are the fucking friends apartment of this film. It is yeah. insane yeah. that he has these and it is implied that he never has to pay for them at all. Actually, when he takes when he takes Lindsay to her first Red Sox game, he's talking about how amazing these seats are. He actually says, "You can't buy these seats." <laughs> Someone has to buy them. That's how capitalism works. Do the Red Sox not want to make money on these seats? They would cause he later sells them for 125. Yeah. Are we to believe he pays a hundred? And not just him, but all of those blue collar Sox fans who are surrounding them. They're all paying a hundred thousand dollars. Are they all meth dealers? That's fucking crazy. It's bonkers. Yeah. It's completely freaking bonkers. Anyway. So he takes her to her first game, and this is where we basically meet all of the surrounding Sox fans. Yeah. Who are just the whiniest, least interesting. Like, I hated all of them. <laughs> like, all they did was just sit around and, oh, Bucky Dent's homer. Oh, I can't believe it. Freaking Aaron Bones. Like, do you just talk about this literally non-fucking-stop? It's Yeah, it's it's like supposed to be everybody's And they're all just supposed Spox, to be like Boston regular fan, Joes. The way, all I'm, ta- I'm going to talk over you because you keep talking over me. So I'm going to talk over you. It's all Boston Red Sox fans, long-suffering, bringing up Boston Red Sox history, but they're all delivered like sleepaway camp lines. <laughs> And naturally, they're all just supposed to be regular folks. None of these people are lawyers or doctors or anything like that. And in fact, when a lawyer does come in and try to buy their tickets, they are just contemptuous. Yes. Well, we wouldn't be surrounded. We're regular Sox fans paying $125,000 for our season tickets. Dan, do you mean the lawyer who brought the contract assigned to the game to make him sign it at the game? They didn't care for that contract. (laughs) 
I don't like that. That's written on words. Hey, that's written words there, pal. <laughs> I don't like that. Say things. Handshake deal. I made a handshake deal in 1918 for these tickets. <laughs> I pay a buffalo nickel every year. They even referenced the name of the play that fucking no, Babe Ruth. No, no, that I know, right? Oh, Jesus. I'm never going to watch that crap. I, yeah, I guess, I, right? You're not a fan of theater, I'm presuming. You can also afford Broadway tickets? <laughs> Who the fuck are you? Who are you? <laughs> so anyway, she's... Sorry. <laughs> she's kind of starting to kind of come to terms. She's a little bit... She looks in his closet and says it's not a man's closet. Yeah. They go out to... Uh, to eat with her family and he's eating lobster because of course he has to eat the funniest possible thing so he's wearing a bib this is the one scene where i thought this not funny because it's just poorly performed and executed but there is a little bit of truth here because he's out to he's missing the game yeah. to go to the restaurant and behind him somebody starts talking about the game and he starts going la 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 Great. la la so he doesn't hear about it but then of course it becomes a thing where He's eating lobsters, so she has to go over and put yes. her hands over his ears, and it has to be a whole just over-the-top performance. Now, let, let, me, let me back up a bit. My girlfriend and I, she kept saying, this is like me and you. This is like me and you because I'm a diehard <laughs> Seahawks fan. And like last week when we recorded, I couldn't know the score of the Seahawks right. game before I could go watch it. I understood that. But at no point did I make Johnny come over, put ears over my earmuffs. hands over my ears, earmuffs hands over my eyes. <laughs> when I accidentally did see the score because I just uh, hit Google, I didn't fucking steer my car <laughs> into the side of the road. <laughs> this man has a grown woman put earmuffs on him while he's got lobster hands in and front of her parents. Screaming in the middle la, of la, like la, a, la, la, a la. fancy restaurant. And he's meeting her parents for like the first time, too. Yeah. But next morning, we find out he makes it all up because he got his parents into this golf club because one of his students knows the gardener. Because, because he's a math teacher. <laughs> but also, the students are just regular folk. Yeah. If the student like knew the owner of the golf club or knew an executive at the golf club, then he would be a pampered asshole. Yeah. But he knows the gardener. They're just all regular folks and Sox fans. Hundred twenty five thousand a year. And and translate that. Knowing the gardener gets you fucking du rigueur free <laughs> right? trips at a golf course. Sure. Yeah. Because they treat the gardeners like royalty at this <laughs> Carl golf course. Sackler from Caddyshack just had run out of <laughs> Let her go as friends. And, yeah. Sure, pal. I want to meet Carl Sackler's kids. <laughs> But he gets them into a golf club, which immediately goes to a joke about how he's washing her father's balls. Not once. Not oh, twice. Oh. oh, it comes back. It comes back. So we get into June. We get a lot of clips of the 2004 Boston Red Sox. It's just a nonstop like, baseball montage, which normally I'm fine with, but it's all Boston Red Sox clips. And mostly also, they're almost always playing against the Yankees. So it was awful, and I hated it. They're singing Sweet Caroline. Uh, she's kind of getting involved with the team. She's wearing the clothes now. She's yeah. getting into it. She's going to the game. She's digging on the history, but she's also losing a lot of sleep because but the games are late. She was baseball ignorant at this. Like She's like, what's a strike? Like, what's a foul ball? Yeah. Like, Why is that a foul ball? Right. I feel like you could have got that from context. There's You're big white of, lines. Kind of like, a math whiz, <laughs> aren't you? But she's from Baltimore. They don't have baseball in Baltimore. That's not crazy. real baseball. No baseball. It's not like the Sox. Not the Orioles. The fucking Orioles. The fucking Orioles. You can't be Sox. <laughs> so she's at the game, and more hilarious slapstick. She gets struck in the face by a foul ball 
Off yeah. of Miguel Tejada. Good job, Miggy. <laughs> and he doesn't see it at first and like is cheering and jumping up and down and high-fiving the guy who got the ball. And she ends up in the hospital because I mean, you could actually get killed. So that, but... my new thing now is every time because I tried to have a CAT scan twice and I freaked out because it was too small and cla- claustrophobic. I was pissing the panic button before I even got in it. <laughs> Those cat scans, no cat scans are that big. Like you don't have that much room. They are very. It's like a coffin they put you in. So my new thing is calling that bullshit out. Yeah, there you go. So after this, she kind of begs off going to more games. Yeah. She's like, I got to concentrate on my career. I'm losing sleep and all this stuff. And in walks. But the- she kind of puts it on him. She's shitty. She kind of puts it on him. She's like, I don't want to be the girl that chases her boyfriend. Like, like you didn't know this about him. Like, you didn't know this is what you were signing up right. for. But she's like, I don't want to be the person who just adopts all of you. Well, you don't have to. Yeah. But, wh- you know, why do that and then ba- back off and make it about him? Their whole fucking. Yeah. All their conflict is absolute white people's problems. <laughs> their entire, the whole thing keeping them apart is that he likes baseball and she doesn't like baseball as much. Right. That's, that's fucking it. That is That's it. the conflict in this movie. The math couldn't bring their love together. No, I know. They had math in common, but not baseball. So. Anyway, but in walks, uh, in saunters the third Wilson brother. Yeah, what's the not what? famous uh, Wilson brother. What's with her and Wilson brothers? What's with Drew Barrymore and Wilson? Right? She, she casts them a lot in the movies she produces. She's way into these Wilson brothers. Yeah. So she kind of flirts with him a little bit, but then he disappears for like the next half he's, hour or so. He's he, the guy she really should be with. He's successful. He's in her world. He's tall. He's obviously grown up. He's wearing suits. He was forgiving when she had her shoe off and was being clumsy. So that's the man you really want. Exactly. So now we go to early September. She wants to go to Paris. She comes in and is like, my job is going to take me to Paris, and you're going to come with me, but like the, right now, pretty much. Like, get, get on yeah, your horse. Yeah, that's true. Huh? This dialogue, though, is just like the uh, the the whole willing the tickets. It's about thought out as much. I'm going to Paris to close a big deal. And you're coming with me. <laughs> that's it. Tell like, them you're leaving. There's no exp- explanation of a deal of what she actually does, of how she needs to go in two days. But he tells her that he doesn't want to go because the Boston Red Sox have a big homestand coming up. And he says, quote, this is when they need me. And this is like the real where it mm. starts to break apart because not only are they go- were they going to go to Paris, but it turns out she might be. Preggers. No. Here's the thing, though. You know what? Uh, watching it with my girlfriend has seen it many times. I was like, she's not pregnant. And she's like, how do you know that? And I was like, well, she didn't vomit. <laughs> Only if a woman vomits right? in a movie is she pregnant. Exactly. No vomit, no preggers. No norovirus. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, you're right. Right away, is she preggers? No, she is not. <laughs> like We would get that resolved like 30 <laughs> seconds later. But it seems like this is the end of the line for them. She realizes you're never going to love me as much as yeah. you love the Boston Red Sox. You're not even going to maybe love our baby as much as the Boston Red Sox, et cetera, et cetera. Again, white people's problem. Because she didn't see the scene where he had bought a little Red Sox onesie for a baby. So now he's coaching baseball, and there's a wise, precocious kid who tells him, you love the Sox, but have they ever loved you back? Because those damn kids, I'm telling you. So he decides, I'm going to skip the Yankees-Sox game. Biggest game of the year. Going to skip the Yankees game. And I'm going to go to a great Gatsby-themed birthday party. <laughs> I just wrote, I hate this shit. What the fuck? <laughs> oh. I'm just, but he has a great night. He dances. Yeah. Oh, he's yeah. super charming. He he's in his, he's wearing night. a fake uh, mustache. He's doing great. 
uh, as he's leaving the party, he hears that the Yankees are down eight to nothing. And he, he hears the game and she's about to earmuffs him. And he says, no, nah, it's all right. Whatever. He's kind of like, whatever. The Sox are just never going to win. I, I give up and I, I need to like balance this kind of stuff. And they go home and they have sex and it's great sex. And they talk about how it's great sex. His friend calls him right after sex, post-coital. Yeah. Post-coital friend chat. Hey, how'd it go? And <laughs> he finds out that he missed the greatest game yeah. in history. They came down from seven or eight to nothing, and they won the game in the bottom of the ninth, and the fans are going crazy, and nuns are dancing so on cars. This, and that, was the one part, and, that was the one part where I was like, that's a funny – that could have even been funnier. That bit was funny, and it could have been funnier. The part where it cuts to the TV announcers, and he's watching the celebration on TV, yeah. and then announcers are like, yeah, I saw a nun dancing on a car. This is the world's greatest con- – like, if you, they could have b- kept building that Just up. Just keep going. That exactly. would have been so funny to me. Yeah. But no. But no, it doesn't. Instead, he turns it off and he goes in and basically starts yelling at her for making him miss the game. Yeah. And acting really like a complete asshole. At which point she says, you broke my heart, Ben. And it seems like they're they're pretty much done. So he walks out of her apartment and there's some celebrating Sox fans. And then he walks by that tower. And this is where I was just like, oh, Fallout 4 location. I was just <laughs> noting Fallout 4 Boston locations in here. <laughs> So he goes and he gets his usual advice from the fans, just the regular shithead fans who are just regular old folks just at the game, paying $125,000 for their tickets. (laughs) His real family. There's regular folks. Yeah, there is real family. We get, he kind of goes into a deep, deep funk where he's just sitting at home catatonically watching and rewinding the Bill Buckner era from the 1986 <laughs> World Series over and over again. And his, fa- his friends come in and they drag him into the shower, which again, we get another washing your balls joke. Right. And this one this is was, so fucking forced. This was super forced because his doctor friend, they're in the shower and you can kind of see something. There's a lot of stroking going on kind of beneath the camera line. I just threw my pen as I was taking a stroking motion. <laughs> Full disclosure. I want to be I'm going to be totally honest with you. I was making that stroke. I think motion. you symbolically <laughs> dropped your pen cuz you are done with writing and, and <laughs> critiquing this movie. But you can see there's something going on beneath him with the doctor who is stroking somehow. And Jimmy Fallon says like, "What are you doing down there?" And he says like, "What?" You know, cuz you think here's another wash in your balls joke. And he pulls up and he has a little razor and he says, you don't want me to shave your balls? <laughs> it took him like, sorry, it took him seemingly several minutes to realize that his balls were being <laughs> shaved by a big razor in a very aggressive manner. And it, honestly, it's not the razor so much. It's the aftershave that really fucking stings. <laughs> this is like end of gaudy light speed wrap up to a movie. We yeah, get, we're into the 2004 ALCS now. Yeah. Are we are we at the World Series? No, we're not at the World Series. The the ALCS is where the Yankees No, I'm sorry, you're right. Went They're down 3 oh, 3 to three. 0 and no team had ever come back from 3 to 0 to win a seven game series. I and I got to say as much as we're shitting on the Sox and all that, that I remember when that happened. It, it was, was like, pretty amazing. It was it was fucking stunning. Cuz as they show in the film, not only that third game they lost like 19 to 8. They got their asses or something kicked. like that. And the Yankees were a monster that year. And we're just I think 3 outs away the Yankees were 3 outs away from winning any game 4 before they came back and then finally won five, six, and seven, and, and went on to the World Series. But the rest of this film mostly concentrates on what happens in the ALCS. So we get all the montage. They're down three to zero. They're out at a bar. Of course, it's Boston, so they're all drinking Sam Adams. Yeah. They actually see Johnny Damon, Trot Nixon, and Jason Veritek eating. You know. 
Because they drink at bar. Because they're regular guys. They drink at the bars. Those players go out too. Regular folk. So this causes a revelation in Ben because he sees them. Before we get to that, watching Jimmy Fallon sit there and lament his problems while drinking and noticing a celebrity, I had uh, deja vu. I was like, what? I've seen this. And then it flashed me back to the greatest Saturday Night Live sketch of all time or film of all time, the HSO. When Jimmy Fallon, Horatio Sands, and Ben Stiller see Glenn Fry, and it's Will Ferrell playing Glenn. You haven't seen this? You gotta fucking watch this. I'll watch it. They dare Ben Stiller to go hit on Glenn Fry, and Glenn Fry takes him up on it. It's the fucking most amazing sketch. Adam McKay wrote, written, and directed. All right. Oh, it's brilliant. Well, I'll try to find it. The H is O. All right. Back on track now? Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Please, everybody, just go watch HSO right now. <laughs> so this uh, Ben seeing his his heroes, these Boston Red Sox players, rather blasely, you know, just eating a meal yeah. while, while these guys are eating their yeah. hearts out. This has a revelation, and he immediately, because it's a romantic comedy, runs right to her door unannounced. He's such a shitty fucking bangs on her door and is like, take me back. I wrote this down, though. It takes him 16 seconds to see the light. Yeah. That's this movie in a nutshell. (laughs) It takes, from 16 seconds after he sees them, he goes, these guys are right. They don't care. I shouldn't care. I'm a, I'm an idiot and runs out the door. <laughs> no, and just runs right to her door, bangs Ugh. on her door, which is answered by the third Wilson brother, who is holding her dog and is is seemingly kind of ingratiating himself into her life a little bit. Uh, Lindsay comes to the door. Ben is kind of very upset and he's questioning, "Are you guys out on a date? And what's going on?" And she's like, "No, it's a work thing." And he was just came with me, and so it's a little awkward. And he basically professes his love to her, and she sends him away and says, "This isn't going to work for him." So this scene concludes. Ben is totally uh, distraught. He walks away, and she finds out. Lindsay finds out through a friend that Ben from Ione Sky revealing that she's pregnant. Yes, another and- friend takes a call as she's because Lindsay got the promotion. Everybody, you know the promotion she had to go to Paris for. She got the promotion because her assistant runs in to tell her. Yes, such fucking clumsiness in this movie. Her friend overhears that Ben is selling his Red Sox tickets. At this to her husband. Yeah. Now, how can you sell something you have never paid for and <laughs> don't own, and it's completely impossible? Another thing that I should add, and this is just maybe I'm a sports fan. I, I've gone to a lot of games. I know a thing or two about a thing or two. Sure. When you buy season tickets, you get first priority at purchasing playoff tickets. Right. You don't just get free playoff tickets. Right. Because they could sell playoff tickets Against the Yankees, <laughs> behind the dugout, right on the field, for thousands of dollars per seat. In this world, which again, like any romantic comedy, it's a consumerist fantasy. It's as much a consumerist fantasy as Sex in the City or any Sandra Bullock movie or any of that other bullshit, but it's for men, which is that you just get free sports tickets for life for being a big fan. But anyway... <laughs> He's now going to sell these tickets he's never paid for that were simply left to him in a will for $125,000. And all of his friends, who apparently are also not paying for tickets, are like, how dare you give away these tickets? How dare you? When I found out the price tag that this lawyer was going to pay for him, I'm like, how the fuck does he have that much money? It's insane. It's insane. It makes no fucking sense. No. 
it would make sense for some blue collar person maybe in the 80s yeah right to be able to afford that if you just you have no other creature comforts and that's your whole thing in life no fucking way None. not for the boston red sox not in 2004 and beyond so but Lindsay overhears that he's selling it and realizes i've never given up anything for him she leaves her promotion party. Which really is not true at all. Right. It's not. She was hit in the face by a baseball. She, also, <laughs> she didn't give up the baby. She gave up. It was she a gave pregnancy up, scare. She gave up her period being on time for a week. <laughs> so she runs out on her promotion party. And she is going to run to Fenway Park yep. where game four is happening right now. Game four of the ALCS against the Yankees, but there are tickets available from scalpers. So she buys one from a scalper, but it's for center field. And, of course, Ben, because he's a secret multi-billionaire somehow, has tickets right behind home plate. Yeah. Or basically right behind the dugout, right up field level. So they're on complete opposite sides of the stadium. She grabs some binoculars, and she sees he's about to sign his contract. His hand is all shaking. His hand's all shaking. How could she possibly distract him? How could she possibly distract him? Corky, what happened? Daniel. <laughs> you hate it when I set you up. <laughs> While I don't appreciate being put on the spot, I will say... You're on a podcast. She does the only thing possible. <laughs> Daniel, what is that? She dangles herself off of the center field wall. Now toss it back to me. What that what happens? <laughs> she drops onto center field and then go back to it, Daniel. She runs around on the field she tries to get to jimmy fallon but what happens but the, but the, she she doesn't get to jimmy fallon because the cops stop her right when she gets to jimmy fallon go daniel the security guards are chasing her all around they're chasing her she's hiding behind players she's throwing her purse at them they're making to chase her all over the field then what happens quirky then jimmy fallon says oh my god that's Lindsay," and uh i forget what does he do? <laughs> he doesn't say anything particular. Oh, wait, no. The cops all will be like, all right, you guys have your moment. She runs. She's <laughs> able to She's able to outrace everybody. Yes. And outmaneuver everybody. Men who she have made their, <laughs> devoted their lives to being professional athletes. Well, she took her shoes off, though. That's and remember, true. she has been working out nonstop. <laughs> this is what she's been training the entire film for. So she evades the cops, gets all the way down to right behind the dugout, and sees Jimmy Fallon, and he comes down right to the first row and greets her there. And even though she has just committed a crime and is holding up game four of the ALCS, just like one, probably one of the most viewed games of yes. the season or of the decade, and they let her monologue for a few minutes. Yeah. Because this is obviously love. Because <laughs> the cops can tell and do care about that at the time. But she says, I'm not going to make you give up these tickets for me. She rips up the contract. And isn't that great? Because Ben essentially gets everything he wants and sacrifices nothing. Yes, right? Aww. That's, that's, that's amazing. And then she goes off to jail. But they kiss first, and it's implied that she'll be now escorted off and taken to jail. Yeah. Uh, now, fast forward. That was basically, that should have been the end of the film. But, of course, the 2004 ALCS actually did happen, and the World Series happened. And so we get a little epilogue onto it in which we get a few clips of here's the highlights from the ALCS. Then it moves on to the World Series. And, of course, Ben and Lindsay were there in St. Louis. And what are they doing? They run on the they goddamn field. field again. They run on the goddamn Because she wants to get arrested in multiple states now. And I recall that I remember watching the 2004 World Series and seeing Jimmy Fallon before this movie was, like, announced or anything yeah. like that. And they were running onto the – they were celebrating on the field. And I was like – 
what the fuck is happening? I didn't even know, but they were shooting the film. Yeah, okay. And it's actually shot during those moments where the team is celebrating and kind of dragging it down, ruining their their little moment <laughs> for, for their fun little film. But yeah, I actually went and did some research uh, this morning because I was curious what what actually happens to these people who run on to the field? Because we actually see it, you know, we see it yeah. sometimes. And I, I saw a little blog post by a lawyer who said that he had represented a number of people who had who had done this in various capacities and various sports and things like that. And his take was generally, if you just run onto the field during a break and play, during a timeout, during halftime, whatever like that, and when the security guards come out, if you are allow them to escort you off the field, if you don't make them chase you all around the field, yeah. generally you'll just get off with probation, you won't do jail time, you'll get a bond, you'll have to go in court, you might have to pay a fine and do some community service. However, <laughs> if you make them chase you all over the field, if you hide behind players in the middle of the goddamn eighth inning, if you hit one with a if purse, you hit one with a purse, <laughs> you're going to jail. Yeah. You're actually going to spend the night in jail. And those season tickets, they're fucking gone, man. <laughs> they're never going to let you back in. Sure enough. In what in this universe is a week later at Game 4 in St. Louis, she runs on the field again. They're, the Boston Red Sox would be like, this woman is stalking us. She's going to run on a field and assassinate a player. They encourage it. They're fine with it. It's such a weird fucking thing. But yeah, it's supposed to be this amazing declaration of love. And oh, God. All and, it means is that the movie is over and i cannot say enough fuck kurt schilling fuck oh, you kurt, fuck schilling. kurt schilling fuck the whole 2004 red sox they were all juicing not even a red sox just fuck you kurt schilling for your fucking social oh media i mean shit. absolutely fucking for that yeah absolutely that's they were all juicing huh david ortiz manny all of them were. i know manny was kurt schilling sure why not pedro pedro <laughs> who else who you got uh manager yep <laughs> 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 Ben, ben, school teacher. <laughs> Fucking yeah. Ugh. All right. So that is a little film called Fever Pitch. Uh, Corky, any final thoughts on Fever Pitch before we rate the film? Babe, I'm sorry. Head uh, into a long and tragic off season. We know we like different movies. We know we like different sports teams, but I could not go with you on this one. This was this was a chore to sit through. Yep, I agree with you on that. So just to remind everybody, our ratings, your run-of-the-mill bad film, a dare. Your next-level bad film is a double dare. And the movie that we actually pretty like is a reverse dare. Corky rating for Fever Pitch. As much as we shit on it, I'm going to go a dare. Because mm-hmm. there's if you're a sports fan, uh, if you like romantic comedies, it's going to scratch all your itches on mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. So it's, it's vapid and... Um, Poorly acted. God, Jimmy Fallon is just bad. Mm-hmm. He wants to be Chevy Chase so bad, right. and he's just uh, he's not likable. Yeah. I wrote very early, Jimmy Fallon, not likable. It just feels desperate. It yeah. just feels so desperate. And I've had a lifelong crush on Drew Barrymore, so I, I stand Drew Barrymore, but I know she's not a great actress. So I can watch her. I don't expect much from her, but uh, they, she didn't give me it, so dare. It'll yeah. scratch your itch. I feel like if I'm rating this movie objectively and, and and trying to rate for everyone and not just for myself, it's a, a dare, like a low dare. But I'm rating for myself. I'm giving my own opinion on these films. And 
for me, that's like I said, this is a torture chamber designed specifically for my dimensions, all my measurements, and it just hit every sore spot. So this is a double dare sure. all the way. I love you, sweetie. That's all we have for you on this episode of Dare Daniel, but we'll be back next Tuesday with another episode. Like and rate us on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can read more of my movie reviews at daredaniel.com and also in the Sacramento News Interview and at newsreview.com. Corky. Yeah, man. Where could people in Boston, if they want to go and it's Boston and they want dirty water, Boston sucks, where can they find you? You can fucking find me in Southie or on Yorkie Way. How's the chowder down there? Filene's basement. Chowder. Anywhere, Fallout 4 locations. <laughs> I'll be carrying out missions. Uh, Norm! I don't know, more Boston references. <laughs> Paul Pierce! <laughs> That'll do. For Dare Daniel, I'm Daniel Barnes. Our producer is Johnny Boston Flores. And I'm Corky McDonald saying, Hands touching me. <laughs> Touching you, bah, bah, bah. sweet Caroline, suck it. Bad time, fuck you, Kurt Schilling. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool.